0: Welcome to the podcast where we talk about sustainability, we touch on organizations and people that are doing the right thing. Today we're speaking with Dr. Simon Lockrey of the Fight Food Waste CRC, and that stands for Corporate Research Center. Um, We have next week uh, the United Nations first ever Food Systems Summit, and the week after that on the 29th, the International Day of awareness of food loss and waste. So quite a few articles, I read one of them uh, saying huge changes are needed for Australia to halve food waste by 2030. I sent a link to that article to Erwin Boermont in Australia, who referred me to Simon, saying that he is running a big program on that. So I got in touch. We had a great conversation about that program and about the tension between packaging and food waste. So without further ado, here he is, Dr. Simon Lucky. Good, um, so uh, yeah, obviously I saw your article, I saw the video, all um, oh, very informative uh, indeed. And obviously uh, next month uh, from the United Nations side, we have the first ever Food Systems Summit And we have on the 29th of September as well, we have the International Day uh, of Awareness of of Food Loss and Waste. They have a new motto or observance, really. It's uh, Stop Food Loss and Waste for the People, for the Planet. And uh, very much in line with what you're saying in your email, saving food is really the most important issue we have to solve at the moment, hey?
1: Yes, one of them, absolutely. (laughs) But I think uh, it's it's tied to other big issues uh, for sure that we face, which makes it
0: very important. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, so the article that uh, I originally came to you for was from a smart company. Um, they talk about Australia wasting a lot of food, 7.3 million tons of uh, of food. Um, so food waste reduction uh, is being built into national climate policies and they say that the fact that rotting food in landfill produces methane is one of the issues really is there you mentioned your email that there's nothing really new there um, you've been working on this for a long long time right
1: yeah so um, i mean that that report that was in uh, the uh, article was developed by um, monash university and a, quite a um important sustainability research group called Monash sustainable um, uh, sustainable development institute um, so they their head um, professor John Thwaites who's actually one of our former treasurers of the state um, so he was a politician first uh, made some very key points which are very much I think in line with what we we've sort of been working on for a while I think he's just really consolidating the fact that um, We've set up some major research structures in Australia to address the issues. Reduction is really important. Transformation of waste is important with waste that we can't reduce. Uh, And engagement is really important to try and engage consumers, supply chain actors, so industry as well as the consumer public about how we can reduce food waste. And we're aiming to do that by 50% by 2030 as per the Sustainable Development Goal 12. Target 12.3. 12.3,
0: of yeah. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, and our work has been, um, uh, has, has sort of culminated in a major research structure that was set up three years ago called the Fight Food Waste Cooperative Research Centre, uh, which was funded to the tune of $120 million. So around, you know, 90 million US dollars. Uh, so it's a big research structure over a 10 year period. Uh, and that includes industry money and government money, as well as university in-kind money. So my time, the time of other sort of senior researchers across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's been set up really to uh, incorporate those three pillars of how we think we need to address food waste, which is reduction, transformation and engagement. And there are three programs.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. And uh, obviously, the UN, they say uh, food waste, halving food waste globally by 50% uh, in in 2030, which is what you just mentioned yourself as well. Um, With the funding that's that's going on, uh, 120 million Australian uh, uh, dollars, which is, I believe you told me, that's the largest one, right, Um, worldwide? uh, Yeah, there
1: was some Horizon 2020 money out of Europe, which was um, quite large, so tens of millions of euros. Um, but this is the largest we know of that's been funded in one one lot. So, yeah, it's it's the largest globally. Um, if you look at uh, important institutions in this space like RAP in the UK, uh, they've been funded over a period of years to do all sorts of things around food waste, other waste streams, packaging, uh, consumer-led and industry-led. And they're probably the leaders globally in in uh, measurement and then action on food waste. and uh, as a result, they're a key partner with us in the Fight Food Waste Cooperative Research Centre. In fact, we've now got um, some of their formal um, employees and they're also looking to sh- set up shop in Australia to work um, collaboratively with, with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have also just had an updated um, National Food Waste Baseline, uh, which is about to be launched. The initial one was done three or four years ago by the global consultancy, Arcadis. Uh, we were we were on the um, committee to basically advise them on that project. Myself and my colleague, Professor Carly Varghese from RMIT University, uh, but the updated version of that has gone much deeper into getting real data. Um, so we've had better participation with um, major retail chains, so supermarket chains, mm-hmm. uh, and industry players uh, to get data across the supply chain in a better way than we did previously. The biggest, the hardest thing, Peter, that we've found over 10 years of doing doing anything in this space is data. It's just so hard to get um, complete data across the supply chain. That's mm-hmm. really hard to understand what's going on. Um, but this food waste um, uh, national baseline update was done in, in a collaboration with some local consultancies, Edge Environment and Life Cycles and RAP as well as three keel out of Europe who are another big consultancy out of Europe. So, you know, that's going to be really quite a game changer in terms of understanding where to focus. It's got a a number of um, strategies attached to it. And what they predict we should be trying to um, basically uh, attack um, low hanging fruit, medium, long scale, long, um, long strategic sort of goals having a look at it, the preliminary work, a lot of it aligns to what we're already doing in the CRC again. Mm. So, so I think we've, we've got some pretty good handles on sort of what projects we should be running um, around understanding, so benchmarking and understanding and then action projects to, act, to actually affect change.
0: Mm.
1: You know, what are the tools we need? What are the interventions we need, you know, in, on the farm, in production, in logistics and cold chain? What do we need to do in the supermarkets and other retail chains and how do we engage consumers um, productively and effectively hmm. so that we are not wasting food? You oh. know, it- Fair
0: fair enough. And obviously, what I, UN, uh, what they said in one of their latest reports is cutting down forest to plant crops responsible for one third of global greenhouse gas emissions, making it really a a leading cause of uh, climate change. Um, I read an article from you in Science Direct. um, You talk about food packaging. Uh, normally, not uh, really associated uh, with being very positive uh, for the environment. Talking about plastic ending up in the oceans, everyone is up in arms about that. Waste yeah. on the beaches—it uh, just sounds really bad. But you say um, in the article there, packaging can protect foods, prolong uh, shelf life. Obviously, which leads to you know less less uh, you know planting of crops at a certain point because you waste less less food. So. Um, You actually reduce environmental impact by reducing food waste, and the food actually has a much higher environmental impact than the packaging that it is containing. Um, And you also mentioned that LCA packaging, which is, from what I understand, life cycle assessment of packaging, is only a small fraction of the environmental impacts compared to the food it it, uh, contains. How do you measure that, and uh, can you expand on uh, on these comments a little bit?
1: Yeah, um, so I suppose just to um, dial it back a little bit, I no. came from a product design engineering background, so I came into the sustainability space with an engineering hat on. And so when I first got, came back to academia, I did a lot of life cycle assessment. That was sort of my tool of choice. Life cycle assessment, um, very well known, in particularly in Europe, but, um, in the Netherlands, absolutely, in the UK and France, absolutely um, well known. Uh, as one of the best measurement tools for both benchmarking and then strategizing multiple environmental impacts for a product service or system uh, that you met, that you're analyzing, whether it's one on its own or you're uh, comparing multiple uh, systems. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So what's really interesting about packaging um, from my perspective is, and a lot of other scholars actually, is that it gets a really bad rap. um, Pardon the pun. Uh, It, and for good reason, like you know, we've got we've ba- basically moved to a system where w- it's full consumption mode. Like we're hyper consumers, and everything has to be easy. So we've got this sort of uh, Elizabeth Show, Professor Elizabeth Show from um, Lancaster U- University, calls it the tragedy of the commons of modern life. Like we're too comfortable, too convenient, and and uh, too clean. Mm-hmm. Although with the pandemic, that might be um, the third C might be a little. <laughs> a little contentious mm-hmm. uh, but the convenience factor of packaging has just been you know woeful we we, we do over package we've created a system where we d- deliver everything in packaging but the reason the packaging is there is to protect the products right so if we are going to dial back packaging significantly we do need to transform our systems of supply right it's as simple as that we might need to go more local we might need to be better at um, understanding how the, you know, the supply chain, uh, the arduous nature of the supply chain affects the products and work out other ways to, to get things to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at the supply chain as it is now with food, we get a lot of food from centralised places, farms that are sort of, you know, centralised and we get them into cities, all that food into cities. For a lot of the food to get there intact, we need packaging systems. And the only reason, the only way we can change that is to probably transform the way that we produce food and distribute food. So if we look at that current system, uh, the packaging is usually very light compared to the food product. It's a fairly, particularly polymers, which is really interesting because it gets the worst. You know, plastics get the worst wrap in terms of environmental impacts. Mm -hmm. But when you start measuring environmental impacts across climate change, embodied energy. water use, land use, all sorts of stuff, in terms of the packaging versus the food product inside it, is sort of a relative sliding scale between you know fresh fruit and veg through to sort of dairy up to meats where the food is inordinately more impactful than the packaging, mm-hmm. which means that if you waste a tiny bit of the food, you often still get a factor of magnitude worse off result for environmental impacts compared to the packaging. Even if the packaging gets tossed and becomes, you know, a problem, you know, a biodiversity problem, you know, going out and killing, you know, fish and and birds and stuff like that. It's a it's a real paradox and it really blows people's minds when you say this. But that's the reality. Like you're actually creating heaps of other environmental issues by not consuming your food and wasting it and wasting all of that environmental load that went into it and potentially leading to things like methane production afterwards or other you know other you know nutrient based uh, impacts in waterways or or other you know waste issues so that's that's sort of the nuts and bolts of where that that kind of thinking comes from but what what I'm not saying through that is that we should not get rid of packaging we should be trying to package as 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 less as we can as as you know, as little as we can We should be trying to look at innovation in our supply chains to try and transform supply chains to minimize packaging as much as possible. Um, And the ideal outcome is no packaging. So we should be aiming for no packaging because if we can get everything to people intact by transforming our supply chains, uh, by being smarter about how we consume and supply, uh, and get to the ultimate goal of no packaging. Great. There are other intermediate uh, things we can look at, like uh, reusable systems, which mean that the packaging doesn't go back into the system um, as a linear system uh, and we can get more and more value out of the material in the, in the packaging and, and we're not wasting all of that you know, material load. We can obviously look at circularity with recycling and get much better at putting materials back in the system to become packaging or other products afterwards. Um, they're all fine as well. But, I mean, ultimately our aim is, is no packaging. No packaging. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. But the reality is now food waste is 6 to 8% of our global carbon emissions. food waste so
0: at the moment what you're saying no matter what the perception is where packaging is concerned and I I, I mentioned in my email I read this book from Naomi Klein no logo they talk about food being shipped from country to country and I see on your website uh, something about uh, you do a project as well I believe with um, banana quality loss Um, I hear that for example uh, bananas are shipped from country to country before it actually ends up where it needs to go, Um, that's one. And then there it's being, I go to the supermarket and you see the bananas packed in in plastic besides the ones that are just being there individually. Um, In the end, what you're saying, what's better really is food packaging because it really reduces the loss of food at the moment.
1: At the moment, at the moment, if we keep our systems the same, yes. So we need to completely transform our systems and we need to acknowledge that packaging plays a role, but we also acknowledge that packaging has impact on the environment. But as does food, and as does food waste. Mm-hmm. And so there's sort of this tension, these tensions playing off against one another, which create paradoxes, paradoxes that are probably counterintuitive to people's understanding of, um, of what's affecting the environment and what we what we class as as the bad person, in in the system. Um, and look, I think uh, one of the things with packaging, which is really interesting, is um, it the features of packaging that actually result in good outcomes haven't been explained properly to people either. And that's one of the big issues around engagement, right? Um, for me, I mean, I my my personal view is, without getting back into the literature and our research, is that we don't have any packaging as as much as we can. But I, but I'm a realist in in the fact that. We could drive worse impacts if we move now without changing the rest of the system to sort that out. What we're trying to do is is change the system, the whole system through our projects. So we're not just saying, you know, there's going to be an incremental change um, in a little bit of reduction of packaging. What we want is completely different systems so that we reduce packaging, reduce food waste to as close to zero as possible, and way less impact through wasted environmental load through the food system and packaging as a result. That's really the ultimate goal of what we're doing.
0: Fair enough. And you talked earlier about the pandemic, which has changed things, um, well, a, a little bit here. As a matter of fact, the uh, the uh, PM from Italy, Mr. Draghi, he said that COVID-19 crisis had le- has led to a food crisis. Any comments on that?
1: Yes, yeah, so, uh, interesting comment. Um, so... In terms of Western supply chains, probably um, less less of an impact in that way. It's probably more the behaviours have changed. So um, at the moment what we're seeing with behaviours where people are locked down, they're actually behaving differently after a year, half a year to a year to, you know, almost two years of lockdown, where people are, are probably getting more connected to the food system, they're growing more stuff at home, they might not have the, the same freedom to go and source food. So that's one phenomenon. The other phenomenon is, is movement. So the world sh- shipping routes are absolutely like jacked. That's probably the only way I can describe <laughs> it. Right? There are so many containers that have been sucked into Europe. Mm-hmm. It's affected the US um, West Coast. The, the price of containers has gone up threefold. It now costs... 15000 US dollars to get a container from China to LA. It was about $6,000 pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. So that means that there's a, there's almost a bidding war going on with movement mm-hmm. through shipping. That in turn has really affected the movement of goods, including food. And so in terms of his comment, abs- I think absolutely from a, a geo geolocation, geopolitical perspective with regards to what, rich and poor countries are being able to handle here, he's probably right. Uh, and, you know, well, Prime Ministers are probably best placed to, to comment on those things, right? But mm-hmm. certainly what we've we've noticed is there are massive shifts going on. Plus there's trade wars going on in the middle of it too, uh, which are, have also affected the way that we're shipping goods around the world. Um, there's also been disruption. So, I'll give you an example. In Australia, we we often have workers that come into Australia mm-hmm. um, from, say, the um, Pacific nations, and they're they're often and we have backpackers from Europe or from South America, and they're often our workforce for our food bowl. Uh, none of them are here because we locked our borders, so we had a situation where there was predictions if we didn't get a solution very quickly that we would lose. 20 30 40% of crops even above and beyond what we normally lose on the farm which is sometimes significant for different types of crops so that that meant that we lost out on how much food we produced locally we also supply a lot into asia and to europe but a lot into asia they lose out because they don't have that supply so the, i think through global disruption he's right
0: He's right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. (laughs) Um, Obviously, I see, um, well, first of all, obviously, uh, 50% by 2030. I see uh, on your website you have so many projects going on uh, from from Circular Economy, uh, Project Making Australia Country, Choice Circular, Food Waste to Pig Feed, Food Bank Meals via Waste App, um, obviously what you talked about already, um, Packaging, processing machinery sector to tackle food waste there's like there's like a lot of projects going on what 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 difference do you hope to make by 2030 from your side
1: well we want to have by t- 2030 <laughs> <laughs> like our, our ultimate goal uh-huh. is halve food waste by 2030 that's it and that's a very ambitious goal absolutely so what we're i suppose the, the beauty of having a, a structure like this is that we have I think it's five main universities and another five sort of um, secondary universities that are still partners in projects, 50 to 60 industry partners plus a whole lot of other partners behind, for instance, on um, peak bodies like the Australian Food and Grocery Council and, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of members. What that means is that we have this sort of, you know, quite significant, um, you know, Uh, momentum and buy-in from industry and government. And what we're doing is we're trying to link it all together on the things that we think we need to do to get to the 50% reduction through this thing called an impact tool. And the impact tool is essentially it's a forecast of how much food waste, how much economic value, how many circular jobs, how many people trained in either PhD or master's level or industry-based training that we're going to get from each of the projects and that will hopefully show a pathway towards getting to the 50% by 2030. Now we're about two and a half years in and it looks like it's still achievable. Um, It's not easy though. There's a lot of big things that need to change across, you know, the meat supply chain, the dairy supply chain, the fresh fresh fruit and vegetable supply chain in particular that's an area we really need to tackle quite hard less less impact on climate change, but a lot of waste going on in things like you know green leaf um, uh, you know vegetables and s- specific type of fruits um, sometimes sometimes you can't you can't affect change like if a cyclone comes through and wipes out all of our bananas, what can we do <laughs> hmm. Um, well, we could have we could have stopped climate change a bit earlier. That would have been good, but uh, <laughs> um, that's that horse has sort of bolted a little bit, as we know, with um, you know all of the latest uh, predictions coming out of the IPCC sure. report that was just released. So, um, look, I think it's a very coordinated effort. I think we've got a good chance based on the fact we have strategy, measurement, and momentum, and buy-in. Uh, The other component of it is that we've set up a new organisation called Stop Food Waste Australia. What they're going to do is is basically set up a voluntary agreement scheme similar to what we have with the plastics pact going around the world at the moment, the right to repair stuff that's going on around the world at the moment, um, but for food and food waste reduction. Um, we're, We're going through the process of signing up the big companies to that. If you look in in the UK at the Courtauld Agreement, it's similar to that. Uh, And we saw with the Courtauld Agreement by getting the big players on, people like Sainsbury's and Tesco and all those, you know, Nestle, all those companies, Mm -hmm. you start to get hundreds of other companies sign up and then you get lots and lots of momentum to essentially voluntarily commit to change without even having the government mandate it. And through that process as well, they're really tasked with that sort of piece around, potentially around the behaviour change campaign that we really need. Mm. We need a national campaign. Uh, Mm. You know, the jingle that actually, you know, sticks. I mean, back in the 1980s, 1990s in Australia, there was a big issue around skin cancer. There was a hole in the ozone layer. People get burnt at the beach. There was a history of people just laying in the sun and becoming a lobster.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, There was a campaign, national campaign by the, Cancer Council and the federal government called Slip, Slop, Slap. Slip, Slop, Slap. Very catchy. Right. Slip, Slop, Slap. Yeah. Yep. So slip on a hat, yeah. slap on the sunscreen. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? Slop on the sunscreen, uh, slap on a hat, slip on a shirt. There we go. Right. So <laughs> I forgot about what the order was. Right. But basically cover up and put on sunscreen. I haven't heard anything and-
0: about skin cancer for a long time, though, from, from the Australian side. But I, I always thought, because a lot, of, uh, a lot of your ancestors are from Irish descent as well, so I thought, well, you yeah. know, really pale, white skin. And also I heard that Australians just don't put any, any protection on their face because it's not not considered to be, for man, it's not considered to be manly, for yeah, example, yeah, right? Yeah.
1: But, that, I mean, that all changed, right, with that campaign. So now yeah. the, the, the current generations are completely sort of into that, you know, put on sunscreen, put hats on, only go out for a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. And that was all off the back of a nationally coordinated campaign. We need a similar thing for climate change. We need a similar thing for stopping food waste. We need a similar thing for, you know, pollution into, you know, plastic pollution Mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, I mean, you go back to packaging. I'm a design academic. I've designed lots of products around the world. I love plastic. It's one of the most beautiful materials we have. It's so versatile. You can make it into beautiful things. Mm -hmm. Um, I collect 1970s Italian plastic designed by Joe Colombo just at the end of his life before he died. Archile Castiglione, you know, the 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 more recent ones, Mark Newson from Australia, the kind of stuff that gets designed that increases in value because it's beautiful, because it's functional. Um, you know, (laughs) the designers from the Netherlands you know, Marcel Wonders, you know, those kind of people create the most beautiful products. What we've done with plastic is we've devalued it. We've put it in a system and we do not value the material um, to the point where everything's throwaway. away. Um, We need to probably realign a lot of our values around materiality, around energy, around consumption in general. Uh, A lot of this does lie with us to act and change. Uh, and there are there are some pretty cool ways we can potentially engage people on those those aspects. And it doesn't need to be negative. It can be quite positive. We use co design, gamification, you know, design scripting that is actually positive, incentivizing people to change. Mm-hmm. um well, how, that's, how how that's do you how
0: I, do you do that? How do you incentivize people to change? I saw um in in Holland, um last time I was there, which was a couple of years ago, of course, with the pandemic but I uh, on Queen's Day they had king's Day sorry they had like yeah, uh, everyone had like plastic glasses, and there were a lot of people picking up the glasses because they were worth like a euro each for them They bring them back and you get a That'd euro. Is ahead. that something you have in mind or different things
1: yeah so price price signal yeah in financial incentivization uh, reward schemes uh you know all of those things make a difference um you do need sticks you need carrots and sticks Mm -hmm. Um, but i i tend to like to operate in the carrot side and i sort of leave the sticks to the regulators (laughs) i mean if you look at the innovation curve um uh, diffusion curve innovation like uh, we're doing a project at the moment actually with the federal government and um in australia and you know the regulation stuff and the and the punitive measures are really the la- it's what you need for the laggards. But if you can get people sort of past the early adopters and into the middle sort of the the sort of mass cohort and incentivize them, that's where you can make real change. Um, one of the big problems we have really is that we're trying to solve really big problem really big problems and long term problems like climate change, which are so far out that people can't comprehend or understand or sort of sense what's going on. They can't actually, you know, it, how's, how's this going to affect me in the next five minutes or the next year? Well, it's probably not so much going to affect you then, but it's going to affect you in 20 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, think about when you're 50 or 70, what's going to happen to you? When, and what's going to happen to your kids and your grandkids, you know, at that time as well compared to what you had? So, yeah, it's it's we, we have some very big global challenges and, um we haven't done a great job in the last 30 years communicating about what we need to do and how we need to get there or putting in the innovation sort of stuff um we've, we've certainly been there for the technical innovation i mean the creative innovation where you you're you you do not think in the box you think outside of the box about how you engage and how you create change um there's lots of examples of of that, that, that is really good, but it, it hasn't happened at mass scale. So um, we've still got a long way to go. So, in food waste, hopefully, we can do a little bit in that space.
0: <laughs> brilliant, very. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. So, that was a podcast with Dr. Simon Lockheed. Your website is fightfoodwastecrc, all one word, dot com.au. You can find more information and the latest news on sustainable.news. And you have been listening to Peter, Peter de Vries, and I really appreciate you doing so. Please don't forget to tune in next time.